Welcome, 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 welcome to the Not Just a Lawyer podcast. So I've told you I'm not just a lawyer, but today I'm going fairly black letter law on you all because I currently practice in the area of criminal law and I get a lot of questions. And the most common question that I get is mental drum roll. How do you represent someone when you know that they're guilty? Before I get into the meat and bones of this episode, I want to again acknowledge that I am recording on Ngunnawal country and I pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging of this fine place that I call home, that is Canberra in the Australian Capital Territory. Now I said I'm going to talk to you today about the number one burning question that I get asked when people find out that I am a criminal lawyer. Now, let me just clarify a little joke. I am not a criminal who is a lawyer. I defend people who are alleged to have committed crimes. I also work in other fields, but this is my main bread and butter, and I really, really love it. So people ask, how do you defend someone when you know they're guilty? Well, first, I don't know that someone is guilty most of the time. I may have a suspicion, but as you know, and I know because we're educated folks, suspicion can arise because of all sorts of things, particularly unconscious bias. We all have views that we don't even know we have about what people are like, what kinds of people do certain things, and Who the heck am I to make a judgment about whether someone is guilty? But look, I'll be honest. In my job, I often get given a brief of evidence. And for those who aren't sure what that means, basically the prosecution collects all the evidence that they want the court to hear. And because we have a system that's set up based on innocence until proof of guilt is established in a court. I get to see what the case is. I get to prepare potential defences to it on instructions from my client. And basically, the prosecutor has to lay their cards down on the table so I can look at them all. And that system is set up because it is said that it's much more palatable to all of us for a guilty person to go free than for an innocent person to be convicted. And whether you agree with that or not, you'll have to acknowledge that as a defence lawyer, I do get to see all the cards laid out. And yes, I acknowledge that when I see all those cards laid out, I might form a view. I'm not going to be forming a moral judgement though. And I think my ability not to do that is what allows me to be effective as a criminal lawyer. Certainly in my personal life, I make the same kinds of judgments as everyone else. And when I am dealing with someone, I do understand uh, the gravity of what they've done um, or that it is alleged that they've done. And I do understand that, you know, if things happened as alleged, then it would have a significant impact on the complainant or victim in the matter. And so you heard me just use two different words, complainant 
and victim. Now, in the legal profession, for people who are defence lawyers, it's often a lot easier for us to describe the person who makes the particular complaint, the person who the crime is alleged to have been committed against, so perhaps in an assault, the person who says, oi, that guy punched me, um, that person we talk about as the complainant, until the offence is proved when we switch our language uh, to that of victim. And the reason for that is that doing so preserves, even in a very small way, the presumption of innocence. Now, it would be extremely difficult, I think, for victims of crime to hear that language used, but there is a reason for it. Our legal system is based on a certain set of ideals um, and those deliberately put the... um, the ability of the accused person to have that presumption of innocence right at the pinnacle. So back to do I sometimes act for people I think are guilty and how do I do that? Well, as I said, I might look at the brief of evidence and I might form a view that I think it's likely that the prosecution will be able to establish beyond a reasonable doubt that the crime that the person is alleged to have committed has been committed by them in the way that's alleged. And so if I think that I will of course tell my client that I think the prosecution will be able to make the case against them. But it doesn't stop there. If my client wants me to defend them, I can do that because they have the right to have a proper defense from a competent lawyer because the might of the state is against them. Now, for different courts, different types of prosecutors appear and different amounts of resources are thrown at cases. So sometimes it might seem like kind of an unfair fight. Perhaps the defendant has lawyers who have more time and more focus on their particular matter, whereas the prosecutors are spread across a list and they don't have that fine detail. However, this is something that our legislators, our parliamentarians, the people we have elected to represent us, They know this. They have done this on purpose. If you don't like it, you need to talk to them. That's important. To me, this is an okay system because I think it's not perfect, but it's good. I value innocence until proven guilty. But I completely recognise that there might be people who would like the burden of proof to be arranged differently. I get that. But this is the way I'm going to move forward. So as I said, sometimes I form a view that the prosecution is probably going to be able to prove their case against my client. But it doesn't stop there because my client might want to test the case against them. So in order to be found guilty, first of all, the prosecution needs to run their case And that needs to go smoothly. All of the elements of the offence need to get in before the judge or the magistrate. And sometimes, for whatever reason, that doesn't happen. Maybe a witness doesn't show up. Maybe paperwork doesn't say what you think it says. Maybe it's capable of two meanings and one favours your client. So they are absolutely entitled to have the prosecution case put to the test. This, though, is not the morality, mind-bending situation that most people are asking about. They say, if you know the client is guilty, how can you act for them? Well, it is difficult, legally speaking. 
there are very strict rules that solicitors and barristers need to follow if they're going to do this. We have throughout Australia um, different but very, very similar solicitors and barristers ethical rules. And let me just break it down. If you tell me you're guilty, I can't offer a positive explanation for why you're not guilty. I can enter on your behalf a plea of not guilty and make the prosecution prove their case. I can test that evidence, but I can't make suggestions that are inconsistent with the instructions that you have given me. So for example, if we think of a sad situation where I was driving a car and I hit someone and they suffered a serious injury. And I was driving that car negligently, right? So I've been charged with that. And I say to my lawyer, hey, I did it, but I don't want you to admit that. I want you to plead not guilty and test that case. So my lawyer then cannot offer a positive defense whereby they suggest that someone else was driving because they know I was. There are so many different examples we could come up with, but basically when we positively know that the client is guilty because they told us, we are really tightly governed about what we can and cannot put forward to the court. We have to walk on such a tightrope to do our jobs ethically that quite often lawyers will suggest that these people who've given them these instructions consider getting another lawyer so that they can have a clean slate So these are just a couple of things that criminal lawyers need to think about. It's a really, really brief look at the morality of being a criminal lawyer. It is a very brief touch upon the paradigm that we operate within, which is innocence until guilt is proven. And it is a small taste of the ethics that lawyers have to uphold when doing their job. And believe me, it can be very very challenging and the advice I have for other people out there who want to make good smart decisions is first consult the relevant solicitor's rules or barrister's rules for your state or territory. If you're not sure or even if you are sure talk to a senior practitioner, someone you trust, your law society. New South Wales has an ethics hotline that you can call but basically let me bring it down Do not act in haste. A lot of the case law out there about lawyers who make bad decisions in an ethical sense are lawyers who felt put on the spot, they rushed, they tried to solve a problem because they were panicked. You are not going to be punished for slowing down, taking a breath, seeking counsel, asking for advice because one of the paradigms of our legal system is innocence until guilt is proven but another massive one for everyone who appears in court is our duty of candor that is our duty to tell the truth to the court and yes we walk a funny tightrope sometimes but we can never lie or mislead the court so I want to leave you with that today Thank you so, so much for listening to the second episode of Not Just a Lawyer. This is a podcast talking about law, topical issues in Australia, and hopefully some personal stuff about my life as a lawyer and how that intersects with some other things that I've got going on, like being a cat lady. I'd like to give a heartfelt shout out to Legal Aid and our community legal centres. 
Without these organisations, the most vulnerable people in Australia would not have legal representation. So thank you. Huge, heartfelt thank you. And bye.